So look for them there. Awesome. All right. Well, you've already prayed, so let's just get into it. I'm going to start off just having a look at John 1, 1 to 5 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Woohoo, that's us. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, God from the beginning, yet he became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word through whom everything was made, yet he became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word who was life, the life, who was the light of all mankind, yet he became flesh and dwelt among us. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, right? That's what we're going to be singing a lot about in the next couple of weeks. So to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I think it's worth repeating. He came in our image so that we could be restored into his image. Just think about that for a minute. He came in our image so that we could be restored into his image. Because since the time of Adam, the human identity has been lost. Sin entered in bringing darkness, which is the absence of life, isn't it? Which we just read is the life of all mankind. But you see, God never lost sight of who he created us to be. Sin had to be removed from us in order for him to be in us. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Often the message that we hear about Jesus is that he came to die for our sins so that we could go to heaven, right? But he didn't actually come to die for our sins so that we would go to heaven. Heresy? Am I, am I saying something? No. He, instead, he came to get sin out of us so that heaven would be in us. Very subtle. Came to get sin out of us so that heaven would be in us. And he came 
of his great love for us to restore us into his image, to restore our identity. And the Bible tells us in Romans that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And the Bible tells us that we've actually died and our life is now hidden in Christ. This is our new identity in Christ. So in Christ, I have been saved. I've been saved from my sin. I've been saved from myself. I've been healed, delivered, set free, made whole, complete, perfected in love. I've been taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I could stand here probably for an hour and list all the things that the Bible says that I am in Christ. This is who I am in Christ in my spirit. That's my real identity. But you see, the problem is my soul, which is my mind and my emotions and my will and even my body, hasn't quite caught up on that information yet. So all of us who are in Christ have a choice. Are we going to live from this new identity or not? And if we are going to live from this new identity, that means that every day we have to put off the old man, which is the old way of thinking, the old way of doing things, the patterns of this world. All that was before we were born again, we have to put that off and put on the new man in Christ. So it's not my circumstances then that defines me, is it? It's what Jesus has already done in his life, in his death, in the burial and the resurrection that actually defines each one of us in Christ. So what does the new look like? Well, it looks like Jesus, doesn't it? The light of the world. Did you know that Jesus said that we're the light of the world as well? And he told us we're not to hide that light under a bushel, whatever that is, a lampstand. <laughs> but we're actually to let that light shine so that all men would see our lives, our good deeds, and to what? Glorify our Father in heaven. So what's the one thing that Jesus said would identify us as his followers? As, as disciples. Come on, you know, what's the one thing? Love for one another. Love. Love. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. I'm going to break into song. Anyway, anyone else know that song? So if we are conformed to the image of the Son, we will become love. Don't get confused about what love is. I'm looking on this side a bit more, but it's everybody. The world talks about love just because they use the same words. They don't mean the same thing. In fact, they've got so many meanings, they don't even agree on what love is. But for the most part, the way the world sees love, it's all based on need, isn't it? And it makes sense because from the time of Adam and Eve, we were separated from the source of love. So we were all born in need of love and looking for love. And we get sucked in, don't we? With all the romantic movies, I'm sure the front 
Roe doesn't get sucked into the romantic movie. I don't know why I'm looking that way either. Um, you know, that, that, you know, those big long speeches. You complete me. You make me feel wonderful. You do this for me. Blah, 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 blah. And we go, oh. But it's all about need and my need. But God's love is completely the opposite. It's actually about preferring the needs of others. And if we look at Jesus, that's exactly what he did, wasn't it? He preferred us over himself. He didn't insist on his rights, his right to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, didn't he? He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. There's another in Christ reality. So let's have a little bit more of a closer look at love. And it's very hard actually to choose any one passage about love because it's right throughout the Bible because God is love, isn't he? We're told to clothe ourselves with compassion and love and the greatest of these if faith hope and love love is the greatest of all isn't it faith actually works by love it tells us that prophecy shall cease and we could give ourselves to the poor and all of those sorts of things but if we don't have love we're nothing so i want to have a look at 1 corinthians 13 because it gives us a pretty good definition of love and um, Heath has been very good and popped that up for me because I was trying to be clever and make a graph, so I've got it in my notes, about what love is and just putting maybe the obvious of what love is not there. But at, when we have a look at this, I want us all to actually get real with God. There's no point not being real with him. He knows our hearts anyway, so you may as well get on board and just ask the Holy Spirit for eyes to see, you know, maybe where you're not operating or experiencing love, his love. And then when we do this, we can actually invite Jesus to reveal his love to us in whatever area it is that he's highlighted. Now, it may not seem a big or a significant thing. I'm going to give some examples and maybe they won't seem big or significant to you. But Paul told us that a little bit of yeast, he was talking about sin, but a little bit of yeast works through the whole dough. And so it's the same. When we position our hearts, in, it's how we position our hearts actually in the little things makes a big difference to all our life. Uh, now... When I was a teenager, the What Would Jesus Do movement came out. I don't know if it's still sort of around. But, you know, they had all sorts of merch, but the main thing was you would put a bracelet on and it would have WWJD on it. What would Jesus do? So you were supposed to sort of go, oh, what would Jesus do in this situation? And, you know, it's a little bit, I don't know, chintzy or something, but it's actually a good question to ask. So... As we go through, I'm just going to try and highlight some things in this 1 Corinthians 13, but ask yourself, what would Jesus do in the situations that you find yourself in? Okay. 
Love is patient, it's kind and gentle, it does not envy or get jealous, it does not boast and it's not proud. So that means that it's not impatient or quick-tempered, it's not unkind or harsh or rough, it doesn't boast, so that means it doesn't draw attention to self. It's not proud, so it's not self-centred and arrogant, is it? It doesn't have an overestimation of self. Here's an interesting one to think about, the envy and the jealousy. Do we give room for freedom of expression apart from ourselves? Because the opposite of that is we seek to control. Just a thought. It's not rude, it's not self-seeking, does not delight in evil, so it's not disrespectful, doesn't use other people for personal ambition, does not delight in evil. What does that mean? We don't find satisfaction when people are found out in their sin. It's not a secret, oh, I told you so, I knew it. It doesn't rejoice with evil. It's not easily angered, so you're not touchy. You don't take things personally or easily offended. You're not hot-headed. doesn't keep a record of wrongs. If you're having an argument with someone in your life, do you keep hearing the same things coming up? You always do this. Remember when you did that? That's not love. Love rejoices with the truth. It's always glad when truth and justice prevails, even in the lives of people you may dislike. Wow. It always protects, which means it encourages and builds up rather than tears down or brings discouragement. It always trusts. That means one aspect is you're always ready to believe the best about people. Have you been in situations where people are talking about someone else and they're saying something about that person which isn't overly positive? Do we go, nah, look, I don't want to hear that. I, I don't know exactly what's going on, so I'm not going to jump on board and believe this report. Love believes the best about people. It always hopes regardless of the circumstances. And that means having a continual expectation of good from the Lord for yourself, but for others. But when there's no love being experienced, there's hopelessness. And finally, love always perseveres. It doesn't give up easily, despite the circumstances and obstacles. So I want to share with you just two examples from my life to try and, you know, help you think maybe about what love might look like or love mightn't look like in, in my examples um, in your own life. So the first one is something that my children have helped me a lot with. They've called me out over the years. And I don't know about you, but there are some things in when you're in the traffic. Say you might be in a bit of a hurry, not not speeding, but you know, not everybody's going at the speed limit. Some are going under. <laughs> You're in the left-hand lane, someone's blocking you, someone's blocking you in the right-hand lane. Okay, you've got the picture. Or um, someone's driving a bit dangerously, in my opinion anyway, 
or someone has parked in a way that's not considerate of other people who might need to come and park. So these are things that I have in the past, more dominantly, um, maybe voiced an opinion in the car <laughs> about. Maybe even put, not the rude finger, but it's a joke in my family. All the waggling fingers come out like you're going too fast, it's dangerous sort of thing. As if they can hear me anyway. And to tell you the truth, I would not be saying anything to them if they could hear me. So I'm a chicken, really. But really, what if Jesus was sitting in the car, in, in the driver's seat? I don't think he'd be waggling the finger or, or speaking in a, a sarcastic tone. I have to admit it's often sarcastic. But he wouldn't be doing that because it's not love. But apart from that, what made me think that it was okay in the attitude of my heart to judge other people in a negative, a very negative way. But even more than that, my children were listening to that. That's not love, is it? Because I'm not being patient, I'm being rude, I'm not protecting my heart, but I'm not protecting my children's heart in that. And I'm easily angered. <coughs> not the picture of love. <coughs> Sorry. It's not shining the light of Jesus who is in me. Okay, we'll go on to the second one and it really isn't confession time. I'm okay, right? But I'm just trying to get real because I'm sure I'm not the only one who has done anything like that. Am I right? Yeah? Right. Okay. I heard a few sneakers there. <laughs> okay. The next one and, you know, I'm not proud of this, and it, it was a red flag event. That's why I'm sharing it with you. But Lauren, for some of you who don't know, my eldest daughter, she's now 21, but I remember a time when she was four um, where I got some Play-Doh out for her, and no, it wasn't the Make Your Own at Home. It was the branded stuff, sorry. But um, anyway, you know, the little yellow tubs. So I set her up outside. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Okay, Lauren, here's with all the colours and everything. Don't mix the colours and make sure you pack up at the end and put the lids on because it goes dry and hard. So it really sounds like a lovely time of, you know, expressing herself creatively. Four years old, what was I thinking? I don't know. Anyway, so there she, I left her and she seemed to be having a good time. I'm hanging the clothes on the line and I come back. She's packed up a little bit. Four years old, that's pretty good. But what did I find? The lids weren't on quite properly and there wasn't beautiful, distinct colours anymore. There were blobs of blue. Oh my goodness. The response that I gave was, you know, not, uh, what's the word? I'm looking for the word. It was disproportionate to the crime that committed. <laughs> and I think the neighbours heard about it too. And unfortunately, um, it didn't just, you know, the, the biggest was right at the time that I saw it. But I just, all afternoon, I just remember, I just kept going back thinking, oh, I'm getting angry. How dare she? four-year-old. How dare she? 
she? I told her how it was supposed to be and she didn't do it. Okay. Do you think Jesus would have done that? No? Do you think he would speak to anybody like that, let alone a four-year-old? No. But what had happened was my sense of what I wanted, what I valued, what I thought was right, can you hear there's a lot of self-centeredness in these words? All of that became more important than my beautiful child that was sitting in front of me. And you know what, I probably scared her and I probably heaped a lot of shame and guilt and who knows what else on her. It was not love, it was unkind, it was self-seeking and rude, disrespectful, it didn't protect her heart, it was impatient, easily angered, it was controlling, lots of stuff. You see, we often treat those who are closest to us the most poorly. But we are called to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Love. And that starts with the one in front of us. So we can't, we can't go into much else today. There's just not enough time. I haven't looked at when other people offend us, who insult us, but we need to look at Jesus and what he did in the face of being insulted and, and accused of things when he was innocent, don't we? He is the author and perfecter of our faith. But what I want to draw from this is in both of these examples, I had Jesus living in me. But it wasn't until I denied myself in any area of life, and that's what Jesus said, if you're going to find me, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and find me. It wasn't until I started to see those areas in my life dead and buried as the old man and put off the old man and put on the new, right? But it's not putting the new on in my strength or my ability. It's transformation because it's God's strength and his ability to walk more and more in love towards my family and others. And I tell you what, if Lauren got the Play-Doh out now, I wouldn't yell and scream at her. <laughs> She'd be allowed to mix the colours. Hallelujah, work has been done. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and I failed at a lot of things like that. But it's not about condemnation either. All right, I'm standing here okay because it's not about condemnation. But the only way that this can happen, this putting on and putting off, is in his presence, spending time with him and building a relationship with God. So perhaps there's been some areas for you where you haven't been love. So instead of that word of condemnation, I don't want you to go the other way and start going, well, I've just got to grit my teeth because I'm finding this really hard. You don't know what it's like. This person does this and this person does that. You can't do it in your own strength. Don't try. Who 
people of the world try, some of them are really good at overcoming and, and doing the behavioural modification stuff, but it's very hard. So I want to bring us back to part of that passage that we had in the beginning in John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. None of us can be loved unless we know and experience the love of the Father. The grace that Jesus came with is for us. Now, I grew up thinking, I love definitions. For some reason, I love definitions of words. So as a teenager, I was in a Bible study group, and so we found out what grace was. It's unmerited favour. I used to say it all the time. It's unmerited favour. But I've learned that it actually is God's capacity. It's his strength. It's his ability. It's just his enabling power that comes to us by unmerited favour. We receive mercy and grace. Mercy is getting what we don't deserve. But this grace is the power to overcome sin because sin doesn't bind us anymore, right? So if we have got areas in our life where we're not experiencing his love and we're not walking in love towards others, we can come boldly. We were told, come boldly to that throne of grace and mercy to receive that in time of need, to take and receive, bring it to yourself, that power of God to overcome that sin in that moment, to not partner any longer with the sin that is, is holding us there. So that is a part of the putting off and the putting on process putting off the self-focus and putting on our focus on God and, and moving and walking in love towards others, preferring the needs of others over ourselves. So I want to encourage us and challenge us to lay all of these things down as the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. Lay it down to the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us because he was tempted in every way that we are on this earth and still was without sin and he's gone before us so if the band comes up take your pick out a lot of the world of that last song they all speak about the same sort of thing why don't the rest of us stand and just close our eyes and as you're doing that, I want you to bring to mind those things that have been highlighted to you today. The places you haven't walked in love. This is the old man who has been crucified with Christ. It's already been done. You've just got to get on board with it. You can't be passive about this stuff. You are no longer bound by sin, so don't hold on to it anymore. Don't let it hold on to you. Refuse it. Allow the Holy Spirit to come now and invite him to show you his love in these areas. You are a new creation. Your real identity is made perfect in love. That means it's reached its intended goal. Jesus himself in his 
fullness lives in you. Choose today to yield to him or surrender to him. Because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Begin afresh this morning to walk in love and be the light of the world. That's your purpose. That's your calling. Doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a student or a fireman or a stay-at-home parent or a pastor. That's your calling and purpose, is to be love, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So Jesus, we come to you with thankful and grateful hearts that you came out of your great love for us. You humbled yourself so that we could be restored into your image and that we could be love on this earth. We can be your conduits here, Lord, to shine your light. Lord, I thank you that as we go out of here, that as we continue to look to you, you will show us, Holy Spirit, those areas that need a little bit of attention. But we thank you that your grace goes with us. We love you, Jesus.